Everybody's so chipper. It's 80 degrees out there. You're going crazy. Connectivity is off the charts. Well, welcome tonight. My name's Jason. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. And just to start off tonight, I want to file a little complaint, okay? I want to file a little complaint. For the last three or four years, each printer at K2 has been printing slightly smaller and slightly blurrier each year for three or four years. And now I need these glasses to be able to see. Okay. That's my version of a dumb dad joke. Okay, I'm getting old. I need these glasses to see what's on this paper. All right. Now, before service, Jim Soper said, hey, men in glasses look distinguished, so I'm going with that. Right? This is with me. All right. Well, we're glad you're here. I hope you've been challenged the last few weeks by the series we started. It's called Just Like Jesus. And uh, yeah, we've been focusing on kind of the last words Jesus spoke in the gospel of Matthew. And I don't know about you, but I love great last words. And just some definitive kind of powerful pronouncements that grab you, for example. Um, I love comedy. Don't you love when a comedian just sets up that perfect story and hits you with the great punchline? Or how about crime, crime movies or crime dramas? It's like when that lawyer just kind of builds that case week by week, month by month, and then gives the perfect closing argument, right? That just seals the case, wins the case. Or if you're like me, total sports nut, right? So I absolutely love like a game seven championship game. The coach has been just saving up like his best story, his best inspirational moment his whole life, right? Springs it on the team, gets super excited, charge out a tunnel, win the game, right? Last words are super cool, especially just well-crafted ones. And for Jesus, like this was his last words on earth. This is like what he wanted to leave with his disciples. This was his punchline. This was his closing argument to them. This was his inspirational moment. So let's read this again and just meditate on Matthew 28, 18 to 20. So then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Okay, we're gonna focus on that tonight. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now we sometimes refer to this passage, right? Christians call this kind of the great commission uh, to his followers. This was, it's cool. This was his plan A though, to reach the entire world. Okay, this was plan A and there really was no plan B. And by the way, the disciples did this plan and the first generation of the church, and it worked amazing. Just think about how well this worked for a second with me. In that first generation, New Testament church, Jesus started his public ministry around 30 AD. Um, and at the time, there was no movement. It just started with him. And within a couple hundred years, the gospel had spread from that little place in Galilee, they did their ministry, to the entire Roman world, throughout Europe, throughout Asia Minor, throughout Israel, throughout Northern Africa. And that little movement went from 70 people, no more than 100, a couple hundred people, to several million people in just a couple hundred years, okay? I mean, it worked literally amazing. And this is compelling, right? I mean, there was no advertising budgets. There was no megachurches. 
they didn't post sermons to Vimeo afterwards. Uh, probably no buildings. No buildings. I mean, just old school, nothing but obedient followers going and making disciples. And so, ironically, without technology, this was probably the first viral movement, first viral thing in the ancient world, okay? And, you know, this is still Jesus' plan A for the church. This is his plan for K2. In fact, our K2 vision, which we just kind of unapologetically stole here from Jesus, starts off with, we want to be a church that makes disciples with reckless faith, okay? We just want to do exactly that same thing Jesus asked us to do. And, and we certainly believe Jesus is certainly calling everybody in this room to do at least two things, okay? One, to be a disciple, to be a follower of him. And two, once you are a disciple, then you can help others be a disciple. You can be a disciple maker. And my goal today, it's really pretty simple. I just want to kind of clarify this a bit, demystify it. Um, you know, this disciple-making concept was so critical to Jesus. And I just want to clarify that by making, trying to make answer three questions tonight, okay? So it's three questions. And those are, first, what is a disciple? How do we define this, okay? How will I know if I'm doing it if I don't know what it is? Two, why be a disciple, okay? Like, what's our motivation? Um, what is going to be driving me towards being a disciple? And three, how do we just do it better? How do we both become better disciples and make, make disciples? What are some key parts of the process? Particularly, we're going to look at it, um, some experts, particularly Jesus, and asked how he did it, okay? So what, why, and how? What is a disciple? Why be one? How do we do, become one? How do we make them, Okay. So let's begin here with the what question. Okay, what is a disciple? How do we define this here at K2? And we take a simple verse, okay? And appropriately, it's a verse right at the beginning of Matthew. That's the beginning of this, where the Great Commission is at the end. And in context, this is where Jesus was calling his very first two disciples, okay? And they were the brothers, uh, Peter and Andrew. So this is Matthew 4.19, and Jesus says to these brothers, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So let's just break this down into three parts. Okay, part one, Jesus asked these guys to boldly come and follow me. Okay, I think he's asking them to consider, yeah, for the first time, to start following something other than they, their own internal roadmap for their lives, okay? To follow Jesus. And, and that's what they did. For the next three years, they went on a bit of a, well, it was really an extended camping trip, right? Throughout, if you've read the Gospels, throughout, throughout Galilee, they hung out together. They traveled. They spent time. And we see as, these, as this story plays out in the Gospels, it was an evolving process for the disciples. They kind of fumbled around made some false moves. But in the end, they're just learning, learning to trust themselves less and less, right? And that's kind of our default mode in the world. And instead, trust Jesus more and more, okay? Trust him more and more. And by the way, you know, sometimes we Christians talk about making like, Jesus our, our Lord and Savior. Being a disciple is all about the whole making Jesus 
Lord part, okay? Making him Lord. Because someone's Lord of your life, right? Someone's Lord of your life. Dave talked about this last week. Someone's wearing that crown for, for your world, for, for your decisions. And it's either, it's either you or it's Jesus, okay? You or Jesus. Some would say it's your spouse, right? It's, it's you or Jesus. Those, these are really the options on who you can make the Lord of your life. And part one is we stop following ourselves. We start following Jesus. Okay, we make that decision. But then part two is really cool. If we do that, we follow him, then he will make us into something. Okay, there will be a transformation. You're going to start to change for the better into something different than what you were beforehand, before you started following and saying yes to them. And, and the Bible has a ton to say about this. And it's, it's really cool, actually. It's exciting stuff. The Bible says you'll become new creations. Okay? The Bible says you'll be sons and daughters of God. That you'll no longer be slaves to sin. You'll experience things. Freedom in Christ. You'll become his personal handiwork. The Bible's just on and on with amazing claims about like when we say yes to him, he's going to do things that are really going to just blow our minds, marvelous things, particularly as we and when we say yes to him, when we obey. Okay, so one, we follow him, we make him Lord. Two, he's going to make us into something. He's going to transform us. And then three, we become fishers of men and women. Now that you are a disciple, you can become Disciple makers, and, and, and this is the right order, right? I mean, um, why is it the right order? When we've been transformed, now things have changed. We have some credibility. We have a different life. We'll be bearing fruit. Um, you'll become genuinely appealing, and that's something worth reproducing, worth extending to the world, Okay. So there's our definition of a disciple from Matthew 4, 19. Simple, three things. One, we start to follow him, follow Christ. Two, he makes us into something. He transforms us. And three, we go on mission for him, okay? So, signed, sealed, delivered. Sounds compelling, right? Yeah. Yeah. But experience tells me it's sometimes not that simple. Sometimes this discipleship path, I think, is genuinely a hard sell for us humans. And instead of ignoring that, I just want to tackle it head on tonight, okay? And and fundamentally, the question I want to ask here is why? Why be a disciple? Okay, and there's a lot of great answers on this. Um, As a pastor, if I don't have a compelling answer to this question, I get removed on the spot, right? Why be a disciple? I'd better have the goods. Well, here's some of them. Um, why be a disciple? Out of gratitude. Out of gratitude. Out of gratitude for what Christ has done for you, what he's done for me. He offered his life. He, he bought our salvation with his death. Um, and in gratitude, we say yes back to him. And I would want to follow somebody like this. Another reason, we talked about this a lot at K2. As a disciple, you get an amazing opportunity to really know the God of the universe, the God who created everything, created you, knows you inside out. You get a chance to know him deeply, relationally. You get to be in his life, in he, in your life. And what a cool thing that is. I believe that 100%.
I've been at K2 seven years now, though. And after talking to hundreds of people about this, um, people I've known, people I've discipled, people I've counseled, I'd also say these answers don't always move us to obedience. They just don't. Um, That's been my experience. Um, And it's been my personal experience. They don't always move me. And I'm I'm definitely not convinced we kind of believe the following. Do we believe this? Obedience to Christ and everything he asked me to do is absolutely the best thing for my life. Do we believe that? Okay. Amen to that, right? Amen to that. Because if you do, you're going to do it, right? In ever greater measure, you're going to do it because you've had that experience of saying, this has moved me somewhere. So when we're struggling, I think we have to personalize this a bit. If we're struggling to obey and believe him and say, do I believe the following? The only path to the life of peace and joy I really want is through obedience to Christ, okay? The only path to the life of peace and joy you really want is through obedience. If we believe that, how would it change us? How would it change our actions? And by the way, is it okay to want a life of peace and joy? Absolutely. (laughs) Jesus came to offer an abundant life. He wants that for us. And yet, we all know, we all experience at some point, just the torment when we are drowning in other emotions, in negative emotions, in anxiety, in fear, in anger, in shame, whatever your, whatever your negative emotion is. It's not good, right, when we're drowning in all of that. Uh, long-term, kind of just raging negative emotion, it's sort of our way of knowing, hey, life is really not working for me right now, okay? It's not... Working And God gives us that emotion for a reason. I think it's sort of a, yeah, it's a cosmic check engine light to say, hey, something's not right under the hood. Something's not right if you're feeling that long-term negative emotion. And, and the good news is God wants us to do something with that. He doesn't want us to be suffering with that permanently. Okay, I mean, check out what the Bible has to say about, about negative emotion. These, these are some amazing claims here. So Philippians 4, 6, that's about anxiety, right? Don't be anxious about anything, anything. Ephesians 4, 31, get rid of how much bitterness, rage, and anger? All of it, all of it. And 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. He hasn't given us that. In fact, God says hundreds of times in the Bibles, it's the most repeated command in all of the Bible to fear not, okay? Do not be anxious about anything. Get rid of all the rage. Don't fear. Uh, God, it's such good news. God does not want these negative emotions running our lives. And, and I'm, I'm sure we don't want them running them either, right? I don't want that. You don't want that. We want freedom and victory over them. We want exactly the opposite. And yeah, that's the God we're worshiping. He wants that freedom for us. And he tells us clearly how to go about it, okay? But we've got to do it his way on this. Um, one of these clearest paths to freedom is, is that God gives us is in John 8, 31 and 32. And I want to park on this for a minute. So John 8, 31 and 32 says, if you hold my teaching, okay, if you hold to it, 
then you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, okay? So the path to freedom in our lives is holding, holding to Christ's teaching, okay? It's not hearing it, not hearing his teaching. It's, it's not even understanding it. It's, it's not talking about it in a small group. It's none of those things. None of those things are gonna bring you freedom. The freedom comes when you hold to the truth, okay? So my generation, we grew up watching Seinfeld. It's kind of a guilty confession. Does anybody know Seinfeld? Yeah, okay. It's on Netflix. You, even if you're young, you can go watch all Seinfeld, okay. Back in Seinfeld, there's this classic episode, right? And Jerry gets to the airport and he's super frustrated because he made a reservation to get a car. And he gets up to the, the lady at the reservation desk and the car's not there. And she said, oh yeah, I see, I took your reservation. And Jerry says, you took my reservation. Anybody can take a reservation. Take a reservation. It's the holding, the reservation that really matters. It's in the holding, right? Anybody can take a reservation. That's what Jesus is saying here. Anybody can hear a teaching. Okay, it's the holding to the teaching that changes things. If the reservation was held, there'd be a car there. Life would change, okay? If we hold to his teaching, something different is gonna happen in our lives. There's promises associated with holding to his teaching that are beautiful. That's what we need to do. And we should have Matthew 28, 20 kind of ringing in our ears right now, right? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Hold to my teaching. Let's look at Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. Okay, teach them to obey, hold to my teaching, put these words of mine into practice. Okay, I, I feel like I'm bringing the sledgehammer on this point, but there's a reason, right? There's a reason. And the reason is because our lives are just not going to change for the better until we obey Christ and do what he says and do it his way. There's no other path to getting a different life. And I must stop believing there's another path to a different life. There's not. There's no other path to a different life for me or for you. And so can I just challenge us here? The boldest, the bravest, the best thing you can do on a daily basis is to go to Jesus and ask him, okay? Ask him, Lord, what is the one thing you want me to do different today? Where is the place in my life I need to obey you and do it your way so I can receive the life you want for me? Okay, that's the clutch question, okay? And by the way, if our best path to a different life is following Christ and obeying him, let me ask you this. What strategy do you think the enemy will take in our lives to keep us frustrated and in bondage? What path is he gonna take? Any path other than us personally obeying Jesus, okay? Any other path is where the enemy is gonna take us. And let me just give you the two most common examples of, of how we do this. First off, when we have high emotion, negative emotion, due to challenging relationships, and that's a big part of life, right? A big part of our life is connecting and bonding with other people. When we have high negative emotion there, isn't the first temptation we have 
to talk about what the other person should be doing differently? Isn't that our first temptation of what comes, comes into our minds, right? Um, I'm all about that with my wife, my kids, my work colleagues at K2. I definitely want them obeying Jesus. I've got lists for all of them that I think are excellent ideas about how they should be obeying Jesus, what they should be doing differently, okay? What about me? What about what I should be doing differently? And here's the truth, right? How much control do I have over these other adult persons? Just none, zero. Let's call a spade a spade. We have no control over that, okay? Over my young kids, I think I have maybe 10% control. The teenagers, maybe 1%. And that's probably a rounding error. Uh, they're over here right now. They're saying, no, dad, you But we do have control of ourselves, ourselves and what we choose to do, okay? We have control there. That's where we need to focus and where God asks us to focus. Sometimes it's not relational pain, though. Sometimes it's just our own personal pain we're carrying. And if we're honest, the number one request we often have of God when we've got personal pain, instead of asking him, how do you want me to obey you differently or what do you want me to do and change we ask God to change our circumstances, okay? We ask him to change our circumstances, just make the wind and the rain go away. And again, we just have this instinct to do this, to try to control something we can't control. We can't control the people. We can't control our circumstances. By the way, why am I so convinced that changing my circumstances is gonna give me peace anyway? Instead, God says our victory is gonna come the obedience to him in spite of the wind and the rain. The wind and the rain will come, but our house won't fall, okay? You'll stand and you'll stand strong under those circumstances. And, but man, this is hard to learn. Is this not hard to learn? This has been so hard for me to learn. I'm 53 years old. That's why I need these. And it feels like I've just virtually begun to understand this. I think, I think it's because you have to have the faith and courage to do the right thing first, like before you see the good outcome, okay? Dave talked about this on Easter. Do you remember like the fear and the joy? Like the fear comes first, the fear of doing the right thing, of saying yes to Jesus, of laying your life on the line, of being obedient. The, like that's a risky, it feels scary. And the joy comes second, okay? The joy comes second. Laying down your life always feels like this frightening act, but the joy comes and I know personally every breakthrough I've had in my life where I've experienced true freedom, true peace, it's definitely preceded me saying yes to him in some sort of significant way. So let's just chew on that in our own lives. And, and hey, giving obedience sometimes can be hard. Let's try to make this a little easier on ourselves. Um, the reality is that strong relationships can help a ton on this, Okay. How do we become better disciples, make better disciples? Relationships are absolutely key. I mean, have you ever stopped and wondered why in this just short little three-year public ministry, Jesus spent almost all of that time with just a few people in kind of this intimate cross-country journey? That's what he did for the three years. Read the Gospels. That's what he was doing. Why didn't he just go schedule three times a week public meeting, Sermon on the Mount, again, you know, part two, part three, part, you know, the guy could draw big crowds, 
right? He drew big crowds. That wouldn't have been a problem for him to go off and spend all his time trying to draw crowds. Instead, if you look in the Gospels, he's usually actually running from the crowds back to his people in that intimate circles, trying to invest in them, invest in them, invest in him. Interesting. Let me ask you this. Have you ever observed like the amazing bond between people that like go to war together, like Band of Brothers styles? You know people like that in your background, your family, or seen them in interviews? I mean, like decades later, decades later, these people would clearly die for each other. I mean, they're just bonded together, tight, caring. Um, one more question. Have you ever thought about, you've all heard of 12-step programs, AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. Have you ever stopped and thought, what's really the secret sauce of groups like 12-step groups like AA? I mean, those 12 steps are cool, right? They're great. They're based on concepts like forgiveness, repentance. Um, I love the steps. But I think the sauce is so compelling about the AA is that a small group of people come together that have a similar problem, that love and care for each other, and are moving each other with God's help to a place they couldn't go without each other. In fact, most of them get a sponsor who's gone through exactly what they've gone through and is empathetically there for people in their time of need, okay? That's the cool thing about relationships and why Jesus did it the way he did it. He spent nearly all his time investing in these group of people because he knew, hey, my best chance is to teach them to obey in this context. And then if I can do that, then these people will be able to do that and pass it along to the next group of people. And then they'll be able to pass it along. And off the movement went from 70 people to a couple million in a couple hundred years, that process. That's why he spent that time relationally with people and why it was so compelling. And we need that too. If we're trying to work through something, particularly obeying and doing it God's way, it is so much easier to be arm in arm, to be bonded with somebody else in doing that. It'll really help propel you forward, which is I'm convinced is why Jesus did it that way. All right, last thing here. How do we become better disciples? Uh, relationship is key, but also, and I think we've set the stage for this, we need to learn better and better how to hear and obey God's voice. And, and Jesus really states this wonderfully in the Gospel of John. I want to read this. This is John 10, 27. And it says, My sheep hear my voice. Sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Okay? My sheep, that's us. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We get to learn how to recognize and follow his voice. And his voice comes to us in two forms. It comes to us in the classic written form in scripture and in spoken form and the words he speaks to us uh, through the Holy Spirit in prayer. And anytime you're personally pursuing obeying God's voice in either of these two forms, you're being a disciple. And anytime you're helping someone else learn how to hear and obey God's voice, you're supporting someone and becoming a disciple. You're helping make a disciple. 
And, and if you were ready to willing to do this to make a disciple and you were just going to do two things with them, yeah, I'd strongly recommend the two things we just talked about. One, develop a deep relationship with them where they know you care about them. Two, each week, each week, ask each other, how are you doing hearing God's voice? What is he speaking to you? And then what are you doing about it? What are you doing to obey that so that your life will change? Those are, it's pretty simple. Those are the must-haves, okay? Um, and to that end, next week, Rutt's gonna be teaching and his big focus will be on sort of continuing to equip us with a couple tools just to learn how to hear and obey God's voice better, okay? So please join us next week for that. Well, as we conclude here, um, yeah, I just kind of want to return to this passage we started with, Matthew 28. And honestly, there was this command there, right? Go make disciples. How's that command like sitting with you tonight? That command to go and make disciples. I was really reflecting on that, as you can imagine, this week. It made me think a lot about the fast. And uh, for me personally, I have to confess, yeah, the first few decades of my life, I... I honestly didn't have much desire to make disciples. Just didn't. Um, I'd never been discipled. I, churches I was at didn't talk about that. I didn't have much insight into it. Um, I had started my journey with Christ in college. And, but as a young adult, I was pretty consumed by, by some painful, difficult childhood stuff. I was in a ton of pain and Hey, my approach to the world was to actually rush off and succeed at everything I could get my hands on. Just, uh, I was a success addict for sure. I used that to try to feel good about myself. The plan didn't work. (laughs) The plan did not work. Uh, It failed miserably. Uh, To the outside world, I had an incredibly sharp resume, but um, inside I was a hot mess. And I mean a hot mess. yeah, there you go. Ask my wife. She can testify to the hot mess. And uh, nothing changed for a long time for me. Um, it changed when I was obedient on a few key things, and, like handed back Jesus his crown in a couple key areas of my wife. Um, the first thing he asked me to do was just get rid of that success idol, the thing that I thought was going to make me um, feel good about myself. He just asked me to surrender that to him, and I did. Um, you know, I was honest with him and said, I really don't know what to do with my life and my gifts, but in faith, I'll do anything you're asking me to do. For the first time, I said that. And I found freedom in that. I really did. The second thing he asked me to do was forgive a man that had hurt me extremely deeply. And instead, God asked me to, to bless him and to care for him and uh, be kind to him when he hadn't earned it. And with God's help, um, I did that. I said yes to that process. And then for the first time in my life, after I'd said yes, uh, I experienced what Paul talks about, that peace that really transcends understanding. First I obeyed, and then I was finally free. Okay, And then a cool thing happened. For the first time in my life, I actually wanted to make disciples. Not because I was commanded to, I felt compelled to. And I felt compelled to because I wanted people to experience the freedom and the healing that I had experienced. 
Yeah, and I 100% believe that God is offering that to every single person in this room, that freedom, that healing, to every single person in this beautiful state of ours. So that's why we exist at K2, to offer that to people. Okay. So what's next for you? I've got a couple options, okay? If you've never been discipled before and you'd like to be, we'd love to walk beside you with that, okay? If you go to our app, and look at Discipleship Hub, there's a form there. And if you've never been discipled before, we've got a team that's been doing this. We'd love to connect you with someone and we'd love to walk beside you in that journey of being discipled. If instead you're, you're ready to make disciples, we've been doing this for a few years now. We've trained a couple of groups in an equipping process and we'd love to help you with that as well. So go to the app. You can choose either one. I'd like to be discipled. I'd like to be equipped to make discipled to make disciples. And then finally, we've got actually uh, just a quick one-page reference up on that same hub. Uh, there's hard copies in the back of the lobby, or you can just pick them up, uh, go online and check it out. We just summarize. This is how we do discipleship at K2, and um, that'll be super helpful. It's just a, a one-page guide on that, all right? So hopefully those things are helpful. I'm just going to pray now. We'll have the band come up, and uh, we'll wrap up tonight. So yeah, Lord, thank you that you had an amazing plan to redeem all humankind through a few people that you poured into deeply, Lord. And thank you that you want deep peace and freedom for every single person in this room. Um, but we know we have to do it your way, Lord. And so, yeah, I just pray a blessing over myself, my family, all my friends here, everybody in this body. Will you help us? Just find a path to doing it your way, saying yes to you, Lord, so that we can have exactly the life you want for us. A life of freedom, a life of peace, a life of joy. Lord, thank you that you want that for us. We just, we just love you, Lord, that that's, that's our reality in you. And what a beautiful reality that, that is, Lord. And now as we worship, Lord, may we just be thankful that you've, you've given us these opportunities and, and this life, Lord. And we just... We ask all this in your, your precious son's name. Amen.